Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. guest today is Dr. Robin F. Goodman, and our topic is Caring for Kids After Trauma and Death. Dr. Robin Goodman is in private practice in New York City, as well as being director of A Caring Hand, the Billy Esposito Bereavement Center, a child and family bereavement center in Manhattan. She has made hundreds of appearances on national and local television, including the Today Show, ABC Primetime, and Oprah, and is frequently quoted in the media. Dr. Goodman's book credits include... The Day Our World Changed, Children's Art of 9-11, Turbulent Times, Prophetic Dreams, Art from Israeli and Palestinian Children, and Childhood Revealed, Art Expressing Pain, Discovery, and Hope. Welcome to the show, Robin. Oh, I'm delighted to be here. We're so uh, great to have you on the show. Did, did I say the name correct? How do you say the Billy S? Yes, at Caring Hand, the Billy Esposito Bereavement Center that was started by a fabulous, you know, young lady, Susan Esposito Lombardo, after her dad died. So, you know, as you both know, out of your own personal pain sometimes comes tremendous strength and the kind of um, mission to help other people. Now, Robin, how did you get into this area and get involved with the foundation? Um, You know, through... You know, for a long time in my career, I've worked with um, medically ill um, children and families and then did um, have done a lot of bereavement work and a lot of 9-11 work with a colleague, um, Lisa Brown, and helped the families with the firefighters and the Port Authority and the um, police, the EMS. And um, then, you know, um, kind of luckily... Um, fell into um, a place that was wanting to start a bereavement center in Manhattan because there isn't one, surprisingly mm-hmm. enough. That's mm-hmm. always amazed me, Robin. I've got to tell you, and I've been on the Internet many, many times going, there's got to be a bereavement center here, and there wasn't until now. Right. You know, unfortunately, before this, they were um, bereaved families might, you know, need to, if they wanted services, go to back to a hospital where the person died or to a mental health clinic, both of which you can imagine are, you know, off-putting or stigmatizing or just incredibly difficult and traumatic to go back to, you know, those places or to feel like there's something wrong with you. Um, so this really is the only place in Manhattan that um, just, um, this is, this is all we do. This is, you know, and for people to be together and um, help each other as well as to get some real skills and learn how to go through this because, you know, people feel like they should know how to do it or think there's something wrong if they're not, you know, quote-unquote doing it right, but they've never done it before. You know, they haven't been briefed. So, you know, there are things you can learn um, from other people and from, you know, um, staff and volunteers that want to help you to kind of show you the way and make it easier hopefully, to live with it, you know, for the rest of your life. And one and, of the amazing yeah, things about the Billy Esposito Foundation is your services are free. Right. Um, we are, you know, funded to be able to provide the group services. Um, we have, you know, support groups for kids and their caregivers um, for um, children aged 3 to 18, and they come. Um, we have an eight-week program, and then we have a drop-in program after that. And, you know, for eight weeks they come and have pizzas, families together, and then the adults go off in their room and, you know, talk and help each other, and then the kids and teenagers go off in their separate rooms um, divided by 
page and kind of help each other and, you know, really get to the work, but sometimes the fun of dealing with um, kind of grief and then the adults have their time. Sometimes the adults are happy that their children are somehow being taken care of and getting what they need and, you know, the children are sometimes relieved that their parents are getting help. And then also they can talk about how they really feel and not not feel like they're going to, they have to be strong for the other. Right, right. And it's not a secret. Everybody knows why they're here and, you know, you can kind of let your hair down and you don't have to pretend because um, everybody here understands, even if it's not exactly the same, um, they all, you know, are speaking the same language and um, um, understand that this is a pretty significant thing in their life that they want help with. And now, Billy he, Esposito died. I'm sorry, Mom. Billy Esposito died in the World Trade Center. Is that correct? Right. He died on 9/11 at Cantor Fitzgerald, and um, Susan um, started this foundation. And now, this was her. Her dad, dad was her dad. Yeah, her, okay. Billy was her dad, and she's done this incredible job of, um, you know, saying we need to do something, and um, she did it. Started by, you know, giving grants to other um, bereavement centers, and actually, we also provide scholarships, educational scholarships for kids um, with financial needs that are bereaved for any reason. Um, and then when she realized there was no bereavement center in Manhattan, said, you know, I want to change that, and she had. So it's really just incredible that um, we're open and seeing families. That's great. Now, how long have you been in existence then? Um, We just opened our doors in uh, this past January, um, and I've been seeing families since the doors opened. (laughs) That's great. And it's it's not-for-profit. I can imagine you're going to have quite a flow when people really, you know, get the word out about this. This is an amazing uh, thing. Now, is it basically for families who have lost a dad or kids who have lost a sibling, or how does that go? You know, as long as there's a child that's bereaved, so it could be a child who it's their sibling, their parent, you know, a best friend or a grandparent or, you know, an uncle. We've had all of those uh, situations. And it can be adult children, right? Um, if there, sure, if there was another child, so if it was an adult child and then there was a child under 18 that was a sibling, um, okay. um, could, you know, would be here with a caregiver because we also think it's so important for caregivers to, um, parents to understand, um, what's going on for their children and their And the primary caregiver is so important because in some families the grandparents are the primary caregivers. Right. Right, right, exactly. And, you know, you want it to be about the whole family um, um, kind of evolving and moving along on this journey, not the kids by themselves or not the, you know, parents by themselves. It's so everybody has a shared way of communicating and talking and um, remembering, you know, the person um, Mm -hmm. that died and can kind of have some skills together. What's your email address? Uh, Robin Goodman, R-O-B-I-N-G-O-O-D-M-A-N at acaringhand.org. Great. And we'll also have, uh, you can email us and we'll give you that website again if you need it. Um, well, I want to talk about the myths of grief. You had mm. some really interesting uh, myths of grief, um, kind of eight myths of grief. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's talk about them. Sure. One of them that came up was children only grieve for a short time. Right. What about that? Right. You know, um, children, teenagers, and adults are constantly um, growing and changing and having new experiences. You know, when somebody dies, they, they don't come back. Um, but as their life change, as a you know, grieving child's life changes, new things are happening. So, um, you know, a four-year-old that, 
you know, maybe doesn't have a lot of memories or questions when they are nine um, or 15 have new ones um, and start to make sense of different things about, oh, do I, you know, look like mom or dad or, you know, if I hadn't, if my older brother was still here, what would we be doing? And, you know, I've had um, kids that were school age and then all of a sudden they're 16 and going to buy their first car and then it hits them that if my dad was here, um, he'd be taking me to buy my first car and I'd ask him what to do. So we kind of reprocess it. I, this, uh, I think it's a good time to bring in an email that we got uh, on the Internet from Stan because I think it, it'll uh, be some good information for comment on exactly what you're talking about. Stan says, I thought my 12-year-old son Rick was doing well since his mother died two years ago, but when I told him I was going to take a female friend to a movie, he went ballistic. Mm-hmm. I ended up calling and telling her I couldn't go. Right. I'm not sure how to handle this. Uh, do you, you or your guest uh, have any suggestions, or do I just not tell him next time? Well, you know, it's a couple of things there. Um, I think it's, you know, clearly it was one of those situations where there were all those feelings that might be are still kind of lingering around and now kind of there was something that um, triggered, you know, those feelings of kind of um, extreme, you know, loss. and. You know, well, I'm thinking it's been two years, so he right. st- stands thinking he's doing really well. Right. Well, you know, he's over it. Or, yeah, because you know, he didn't have to, you know, because, um, you know, his son didn't have to deal with this issue, but now um, the thought of possibly, you know, um, is mom being replaced in your life and in my life? And I think, you know, a couple things. One is it's a it's a great time to sit down and have some talking about that in terms of, you know, what it really means in terms of, you know, your mother is always your mother, um, and that's different than um, having somebody new in my life. But, you know, Dad also probably needs to think about when do you introduce someone new um, to a child. Um, and how do you do it? Maybe and, introducing and her to him before he says, I'm taking her to a movie, <laughs> taking this strange person that we don't know to a right. movie. Or, or possibly, you know, Dad may meet or date lots of people, but until it's somebody that may be more important to him, um, you know, it doesn't need to be shared necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think now is a great time to really talk about what it means to kind of keep going on in your life and that um, having someone new in your life is different than replacing someone right. um, or and being I'll, disloyal to someone. Yeah, and also, I wanted to say to Stan, your son is 12 years old. He himself is going into puberty, so he is making some changes, too. And I also wanted to say one more thing. I've noticed when I work with children, one of their additional concerns is, will there be enough time left for me now sure. if a new person comes in? Sure. Um, mm-hmm. so or will I be re- Yeah, or does that mean I can be replaced? You know, is yeah, it so right. easy to kind of just, you know, love someone else again? And so those are, you know, those are tough things. But, again, it's when, you know, um, it's at a different age There's and different situations, you know, those grief issues just come up in, in new forms. And, yeah, well, and, and it brings the reality back. Even though on some level you know that the person is permanently gone, when you're, you know, when your parents start dating, it brings the reality back, wow. Right. My mom or dad is never coming back. This is forever. They're right. gone. Right, and it means, you know, another change, you know, mm-hmm. and um, something else I have to deal with, um, and I was just getting used to it this way, um, or, mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't want to go through anything again, um, or I don't want to lose my dad to someone else. 
Um, so we can see that, that constant processing and changing. Sure. Well, and thank you so much for that email. That's a, a really important issue, and uh, uh, we appreciate your sending that in to us. We have another email because I, I was looking at your myths of grief, and um, then I was looking at the emails, and I was kind of matching them up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think this is really interesting because um, your fourth myth, myth of grief is that children are too young to understand death. Oh, infants and toddlers, well, anyway, children are too young to understand death, too young to grieve and mourn or whatever. And we have an email from a Ruby, and Ruby says, My daughter and son-in-law were killed in an earthquake and left a four-year-old son. As it so happens, I have a six-year-old son, and so my husband and I decided to raise our grandson. I feel bad because it has been six months, and he keeps asking where his mommy is. Mm -hmm. I know I'm grieving, too, and I just don't know what to say to him. Do you have any advice? Mm. Oh, well, you know, just thank you to these wonderful, you know, grandparents. What a fortunate, you know, four-year-old to kind of um, have a family and, you know, in such a tragic time. Um, You know, what's tough is that four-year-olds can only understand so much um, and that it's the experience so... You know, that question will come up again and again because, you know, often for a four-year-old, um, if they see the person, you know, they're here, and when they don't, they don't quite know where they are. Um, and it's, you know, it's the ongoing um, experience and their ability to understand. So, you know, when... But they are grieving, right? But they're grieving in terms of something is different, something is missing, something's not the way it used to be. Um, and they want to, you know, get... Um, things back to the way they are, um, and that's how they show feeling upset or feeling disorganized or feeling unsafe, and, and so, maybe and not being potty trained or anymore, or you know having some accidents or things like that. Oh, sure, you might see you know regression, and um, you know because it's like your whole your the stability is um, is kind of gone, and so you know what these you know, grandparents have done is really put in that stability, um, put in the predictability, um, answer questions but realize that, you know, they will have to keep answering those questions because at four, you don't understand that somebody is gone forever. Um, And so you, and the other thing is you just have to reassure a four-year-old that I'm here for you, let them know where you're going to be, when you're going to come back to help develop that sense of safety again. Um, as they're kind of... Um, and I was older. glad to see that Ruby said she knows she's grieving, too, because she needs some support, too. She's lost a child. Right, right. And a son-in-law. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. the children need to know that their world is, like you said, Robin, still a safe, predictable place. Right, right. And it's that actual behavior, because at four, it's how the people are behaving and acting around them, not just what they're saying to them. So the words can only go so far with a four-year-old in terms of getting them to understand that very complex idea about death, which the whole meaning of it doesn't come until you're about 8, 9, or 10. So it's actually showing with your behavior, you know, loving and um, being, you know, having structure and predictability. That helps On that note, sure. too, Ruby, I would suggest that you get help, um, you know, as far as maybe cleaning or what, uh, some, you know, get, ask people, neighbors and people to help you because if you're more relaxed and can spend more relaxed time with the children, um, you're going to feel a lot better and they're going to see a lot more hope. 
and don't be afraid about talking about the parents. Um, you know, you may think it's going to just ask, ask, provoke more questions, but the reality is the questions are already there. So you want to make sure that you don't, that you, you know, keep the memory of who these people are, you know, alive for, you know, uh, this, this little person. And, um, you know, as time goes on, help, help kind of create those memories um, and an identity of who those parents were. As hard as yeah. though that might also be for Ruby. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for the email, Ruby, and, and good luck with everything you're doing. Uh, Robin, there was one other thing I want to talk about before we go to break on the myths is how some kids become parentified and over-responsible. Yes. 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 Particularly if a spouse dies. Right, right. It's um, it's so hard, um, and it's you know it almost happens without knowing and realizing sometimes because when a spouse dies, you often go from a two-parent situation to a single parent, and you know just the stress of um, just the you know there's only so many hours of the day, so you do you know reach for that help wherever you can get it, and often it's the children or the oldest child, um, and. Children also want to relieve their parent. They see they're right. stressed. Um, and so it's, you know, it's a tough uh, mixture of, um, you know, now kids feeling like they should step up to the plate and be more responsible and be perfect and not cause any problems and be the, you know, man of the house and, um, or maybe or, even or the, girl or the mother of the house and take care of, you know, yeah. the siblings. Or maybe even over uh, work and school. To right. get even better grades or whatever, to be perfect all around. Right, right. And it's, um, you know, and it, it's a burden. So, you know, there's times when you have to really step back and say, I need to let them be kids. Unfortunately, the other thing can happen, too. It's like, it was my fault this happened. And you see kids, you know, the perfect child syndrome and the bad child syndrome. Mm-hmm. It's like, I was bad. I need to be punished. If I was better, this wouldn't have happened. Um, and so then, that magical thinking. Yeah, thinking, oh, it was my fault. And then acting bad because you think you're bad. And so, you know what's in the minds of these little people is sometimes hard to sh- hard to figure out just by their behavior until you kind of step back or kind of look for some information or talk that's to why them. communication groups talking to other parents right. uh, asking another parent who has a child your child's age what they that you admire the way they're raising them telling mm-hmm. them what's happened and asking them you know what they think okay. does that sound normal you know, those kinds of things can be uh, really, really good things to like reach you said, out. Mom, I think that's why groups are so powerful, which is why mm-hmm. I love what they're doing at the Billy Esposito Center with these right. groups. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, because you get to check in. This email's from Susan. Um, I'm an 18-year-old, and my brother Jeff, who is, was 16, died of an accidental overdose several months ago. Mm-hmm. I'm concerned that my parents are going to get divorced. Dad seems so sad, and my mom has just thrown herself into her art projects. I feel like I'm the only bright spot in their lives. I don't know how I uh, can go to college in the fall. I'm really angry. I hate feeling responsible for my parents. That was Jeff's job. Oh, yeah. Well, this is, you know, fits right in with what we were just talking about. Um, it's so, you know, siblings have such a, you know, tough time when imagine going from having a sibling to now being an only child and being there um, and who do you share it with. I mean, you know, certainly one thing is, you know, I hope she can, you know, find some help to kind of talk through this and get get outside, you know, so that there's a support for her. Um, and what, you know, you see sometimes is that um, you can't really grieve for someone else. 
um, you can help people and be there, but um, everybody needs to do their own work, um, you know, sometimes. And, it, you know, if this just happened, it's so hard to know what's going to be down the road. Um, I think one of the things that may be happening here, too, is with something we talk about, which is um, traumatic grief. And when there's something that was sudden, um, you're dealing with all the shock and the trauma of it as well, um, and sometimes the stigma um, and the unanswered questions um, and, you know, the guilt. So it can be much, much harder for, you know, parents and um, teenagers to manage, you know, their grief because they're also dealing with, you know, that trauma and just, you know, that shock of being totally overwhelmed at the same time. Well, Heidi, Heidi and I have seen that at Compassionate Friends, haven't we, Heidi, where kids uh, who are only children talk about um, their difficulty of leaving home and going to college. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and just the fact that, like you said, they don't want to, like this email says, she's worried about leaving her parents who are grieving. I, I'm glad that her mother's doing some artwork, I mean, and trying to heal through her art. I think that's a good sign. Um, but it is. It's hard for parents to, uh, some parents, to let go of that last child at, the, in, at home. Right, and that can be, you know, feel like a lot of pressure and a tremendous, you know, burden. But, um, um, you know, she'll have to talk to them, Susan. I would suggest that you talk to your parents, maybe uh, even a guidance counselor at your school, um, if you're just finishing up, you're 18, um, and try to get some clarity on this because the reality is you can stay home for a semester if you want to. You know, or maybe you can. Yeah, I don't know where you're going to school. So you need to look into what your options are, too. Yeah, sure. and, and and I think exploring that in a realistic way can be helpful. And Robin, also, I will, if, she, if she wants to go go away to school, Mom, she may need someone to meet with her. She may need to meet with their someone to meet with their parents to say, you know what, you need. We need to find out a way to somehow let her go. Because yeah, because this is the reality. And, yeah, and individuating and separating is a normal thing to do at 18 years old. Right, that's what's tough to keep those normal experiences um, right, right. kind of going. It's almost like you're you have to go on two tracks at the same time. One is the grieving track, and one is the staying engaged in life track. Um, and you know you do those at the same time as as hard as it is, but um, but it's necessary. Um, but you know, in terms of life keeps going, um, but they're all they're also all at different stages in their life. Um, and it's you know what it's like for the parents um, is very different than what it's like for you know um, and you know an eighteen year old. Maybe they just all need somebody to help talk them through it. Um, so, so Robin, together. I like that idea that we need to stay on two. What did you say? On two, two tracks, tracks, the grief track mm-hmm. and the staying on life track. Right, right. And that's yeah. a challenge. And, and it's particularly for kids because they have to go to school and they have to do these things. They don't have choices. Right, and you know you you want to be careful about getting too stuck. Um, and we know with grief, you have to you can't skip it, you can't go around it, you can't go under it. You have to go through it. Um, and same thing with you know life events and life tasks is that you need to go through them and keep going. Um, right. As, well, Susan, Susan, thank you so much for your email, and I love your writing. And we're going to have a teen grief blog. And uh, I would be very happy to have you write for the blog, and um, we'll be emailing her about that. And any teens out there or parents who are listening who are interested in having their kids write for our Teen Grief blog, we'll be having that up probably in about a month through our Open to Hope Foundation. Well, Robin, I wanted to hit another thing on your myths of grief because I think it's important. Brief, uh, you're, this is a myth. Brief children grow up to be maladjusted adults. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
a good that's a good myth. I like that because it's every parent's biggest fear. Right, um, and you know it's not true. <laughs> um, it just really isn't. Um, but you know there is that fear that you know there's something terribly wrong or something um, will go wrong. Um, I think parents should think that they can help their kids, um, but that there isn't something, you know, they're not damaged, um, they're not, you know, um, hurt beyond repair, and there, there isn't some, you know, terrible flaw. Um, it's helpful to see it as an experience that they need to integrate into their life. They need to not keep a secret. They need to um, face it. Um, and, you know, there's now this great um, area of, you know, literature and research that talks about things like post-traumatic growth mm-hmm. and that, in fact, you can sometimes, um, you know, really do amazing things and learn things about yourself and find meaning in your life because of these experiences. You know, they can hurt terribly, but sometimes there's people that actually not only do they, they survive. Um, we had a, you know, team here recently that said, I didn't just survive, I thrived. Um, you learn about yourself, you learn about people, you learn about meaning. Sometimes you, I think they feel like they get mature too fast or they learn things they wish they didn't but, um, or that they're different from friends who haven't gone through this. But um, adults and kids really can be changed by the experience um, in really positive ways as, as well. Yeah, I was going to say, I love that also. We, we had a the folks that did the post-traumatic growth out of UNC on the show mm-hmm. and I know you've done a lot of research around this area and I love seeing the positive aspects that come out of children after a loss. I mean, a loss can define your life, but it will not destroy your life. And it's so important for parents to hear that. Right. And in many ways, your kids will be more mature. They'll appreciate life more. Um, They won't take things for granted. I mean, they will grow in ways you never imagined after this. However, there can be some rough times. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, and and you can, uh, you know, some kids get involved with drugs and alcohol, uh, that kind of thing, right. and there can be some rough times, and you do have to treat them like normal teens and not excuse uh, that uh, that behavior, hold them to a standard. However, there may be some, be some behaviors that come out of this for a while sure. and that they uh, will get through, and yeah, you have not- to have faith that they'll get through. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. It's not 100%. All bereaved kids, you know, end up to being maladjusted adults. It's never that, you know, that simple. But, you know, sometimes, like you were saying, that's such a great point that, you know, to have some limits, because, um, you know, you, you, because pitying these kids or feeling sorry for them gets them to sometimes feel like they're damaged or they need to be pitied as opposed to, you know what, there's a part of you that is normal and healthy and is like everyone else. And limits can sometimes be reassuring that you care and, about me. And I think for, for parents to say, look, this is a horrible thing we've had to go through. It's horrific, but we are going to get through this. Right. And we're not only going to survive as a family, we're going to thrive and we're going to do it together. And it's going to be tough, but it's going to happen. We're going to survive this and heal. Right. And kind of it's, you know, that old kind of saying, it's like, you didn't necessarily, you know, look, we don't choose to be bereaved, but we can choose how to go about being bereaved and, and how we grieve. So you have choices about how you handle it, even when you didn't have a choice about what happened to you. Well, and for those parents who are really newly bereaved out there, I have to say that just surviving the first year as a bereaved parent is hell. And, uh, you know, you just hope you get through with your kids. And, and Heidi is my prime example that you can make it. And my other kids, they're doing great. 
and, you know, just have faith. And that's another thing about being around groups and going to someplace like Compassionate Friends that you can go on and you can be in the group and give service to the group after, you know, three or four years even because then, you know, you still have that belief and faith, you know, that it's all going to come through and, and that things will work out. And also I think there's a tendency for we bereaved parents to lump everything in a big hole of bereavement. You know, any any acting out by a child is due to the death of, you know, their dad or their uh, sibling or whatever, mm-hmm. when in reality maybe they would have done some testing and, and right. outlandish yeah. behavior anyway. Because they're on that normal track, right, the normal track. And, you know, you also brought up something, you know, great, glory that how the parents are doing is so important that you don't realize sometimes how you're modeling um, how to go through this. So you were saying how how hard it is just to get up every day sometimes. But you know what? That actually models and shows, you know, kids or spouses that, you know what, no matter how hard it is, I can still um, get through today. And that's a wonderful message. Um, And I think parents also have to see that um, just how they're doing has such an impact and communicates volumes um, about their hope in that, you know, it may hurt today, it may hurt a little less tomorrow. Um, and if not, I can still manage, and maybe the next day it will hurt a little less. Mm-hmm. Well, I um, had someone actually ask me a question recently, and uh, not an email, but it was interesting. Um, it was uh, someone who had had a baby die many, many years ago mm-hmm. and now has a couple of teenage boys. And uh, he was talking, because of what we do on the show, he was talking about the death of this baby at age one with another marriage. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, uh, actually it was a little, I think it was a couple, a couple of weeks old actually, mm-hmm. and I said to him, have you ever told the boys about their sibling? And he was totally, totally surprised and said no, and I had so many problems after that. And I said, you should tell them because you've gotten through it. Look at you now. Right, right. And it's, you know, it's amazing. It just came up talking with some colleagues that um, there's often such relief um, from as if there was a secret. And sometimes what happens is those siblings say, now so many things make sense to me. Right. Um, because, you know, there are those kind of other ways that people communicate about these things um, and that have happened that are so significant in their life. Um, and he's modeling, if he tells his kids, open communication after a loss and after a death. Right. Rather than, like you said, a secret. Right. And it teaches them that, you know, you can tell me, you know, as your parent anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that nothing, you know, um, that life and death are both worthwhile to um, talk about and embrace and are part of what... And I, I've got to say right now that these children that are living right now are being parented differently because their father right. lost his first child. Right. He is a different parent than he would have been had he not lost his first child. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting point, and we never know how how those things affect us and how we are a richer person and have more understanding and more empathy for mm-hmm. what's gone on in other people's lives and for our children. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, it's time for us to go to break in just a minute, and before we do, I wanted to ask you, um, got about a minute, how did you get on all these TV shows, the Today Show and Primetime <laughs> and Oprah? <laughs> what were you talking I about? I was going to ask you that on break, Mom. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> Just, you know, coincidence. 
it was kind of coincidence when um, I was working someplace and um, they said, oh, you know, we need to submit it to just talk about um, uh, this facility at the cancer center when it was brand new. And I said, I've never done that. And they said, well, but you have to do this. <laughs> and so then you do it once and somebody says, okay, you have to do it again. <laughs> and so then, you know, after a while, um, you know, the idea of, I mean, it was certainly appealing to be able to give people information, you know, mm-hmm. that um, they can really use and that can help them is um, just when you can help families one by one and then maybe help and, them. And that's what you've gone on to talk about is about families and loss and that kind you of do, thing? It depends or just, you know, parenting or relationships. I, I'm really pleased to hear that because, you know, people are so adverse to hearing about loss. Mm-hmm, right. And it, it's great that, you you know, you're able to go on and talk about this that people actually but, but entertain I think it. Since, I mean, I know 9-11, I think since 9-11, people are more open, do you? I mean, to talking about that, this to- the topic of loss. Well, because also they're so, you know, needy for, okay, how do I handle this? This is so outside of my, you know, my skill set. Um, and, you know, it was um, Mr. Rogers, of course, who, who else has, you know, those great, um, sayings, and he's the one that said, um, for kids, and actually about this topic, I believe it was anything man, anything mentionable is manageable. Mm. So if you can talk about it, you can do something about it. Um, and once it's out there, then it, it's once it's out of your imagination with all of those terrible, sometimes fantasies and thoughts and worries and fears, then you can really get somebody to help you with it. Yep, a bereaved child um, and comes with um, caregiver, a parent, and, um, yeah, meets with other families and other, you know. Kids. And you have eight-week programs, eight, uh-huh. eight-week programs, and they're free. Right, and we run it um, three times a year. So, um, you know, there's always a place for someone to fit in. and um, we're here Okay, and how would they find this? Um, they just have to call us at 212-229-2273. Um, it's actually 229-CARE. Um, and um, we're also at acaringhand.org. Um, right. A Caring Hand, the Billy Esposito um, Foundation. So. That's great, all the work you're doing. Well, I promised people we'd talk a little bit about your artwork and your art books and the 9-11. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, we know kids are... Um, we know sometimes their language is not only just um, words. <laughs> they sometimes communicate the most through their art and through their play um, and just through their images. And I think, um, you know, when kids are doing art or sculptures, we really get a window into what's in their imagination. Um, and once it's out there, it's amazing how you can talk about it in a completely different way. Um, and, um, you know, it's one thing to say that, you know, you saw a fire. It's another thing to see a picture where there's, you know, red and orange and yellow fire all over the whole page. Well, then the intensity of that experience um, starts to make a lot more sense. And then you can talk about that intensity um, or about those feelings. Um, and also, if a child isn't drawing or doing something, then you wonder if maybe they're feeling too overwhelmed and need to avoid. Um, and, you know, sometimes in their art and their play, you can um, help them find solutions um, and um, create a different kind of a world um, um, and change things. Um, and I'm just thinking that uh, our folks out there might want to really take a look at the art their kids are doing in school, and their art teachers might have some thoughts about it, too. Oh, sure. I mean, you know, one thing you always want to be careful about, you know, it's like you don't want to jump to conclusions when you see mm-hmm. um, a child's art. Um, sometimes it's just, you know, their intense feelings. Um, but, 
you know, is a great way to let kids express how they're feeling. So sometimes, you know, if a child isn't talking, um, just, you know, have them journal, have them um, do some artwork, um, uh, sit down together and um, use puppets or um, get out some Play-Doh with a young child or um, Legos and, you know, build a sculpture. Um, so it's really in that, you know, that uh, kind of in-between area of their imagination and the reality that you can also start to help understand um, what's really going on for them. So I love the idea. So, go ahead. If they're too overwhelmed with doing art, it sounds like you said there's other ways to connect with them around what they're going through, puppets, okay. clay, et cetera, if they're sure. feeling too overwhelmed to do the art. Sure. Sometimes, you know, puppets are great um, for kids, and you know, I'm a big fan about of reading books. So you can ask a child, well, you know, what do you, you know, what do you know about um, death or how you feel, and you know, it's kind of. Um, you know, kind of get that blank or shrug the shoulders, where um, you pull out a book about a pet that died or, you know, about heaven, and there's such great books for kids at different ages. It's a way to start a conversation, or it's like, well, how about if you drew a picture about what you think heaven is like? Um, so there's so many different ways that books can be used as a stimulus, um, or kids can write their own books um, about, you know, what happened or, um, you know, illustrate a story about, you know, the person that died. So there's just so many ways that kids can use language and color um, and, you know, pair it with their own pictures that just, you know, really speak volumes to their experience. Mm-hmm. That sounds great. Now, uh, before we close the show, I wanted to ask you, how would uh, parents know if if their kid's in trouble after trauma mm-hmm. and Right. You know, I think, you know, you have to think about the age of your child. Um, so if it's, uh, you know, younger child, um, are they regressing? Did they, you know, are they now um, going to the bathroom in their pants or they're running to your bed every night and is this going on for months and months? Um, or an older child, are they acting out and fighting more? Um, are they having problems in school? And sometimes you think it's they're not paying attention and then maybe it's because their mind is so distracted by something terrible that they're thinking about the person that died, um, or an older person using drugs or hanging out. Um, and also, you know, so those are kind of some obvious signs when it's going on, like, too long and too intense. Um, but also sometimes if they're avoiding things, you want to pay attention to that. Um, they're not playing baseball because it's too upsetting because Dad was the coach. Um, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, they don't want to go to school because, you know, their sibling was at that school and then they don't like going by the locker anymore. Or they used to walk to school together and now that person's not there. That was special to walk to school. So <clears throat> avoiding things and topics is sometimes <clears throat> a key to telling you up oh, there trying to avoid those um, strong feelings and avoiding them just, it piles up. It doesn't necessarily go away. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Robin, for your great advice and for being on our show. And it's time to close our show today. And Robin, I wondered if there's something you might want to say to our audience as we close or some advice. Well, just, I mean, I think, you know, talking about death and embracing it just is, um, you know, it's a part of life. And we all know that death may end a life, but it doesn't end a relationship. Mm -hmm. And a relationship with that person who died and to keep the relationships going with the people in your your own life and your family that can help you get through it. And making kind of new relationships sometimes with other bereaved people can make such a difference. Yeah, thank you, Robin. And I'm sure it's been very helpful to all of our folks out there. 
You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.